Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we, as we look at this new psalm. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're entering into book five of, the, of Psalms, and we've gone over this before, that the Psalms are broken up into five separate books. Everything from this point on pretty much focuses on the Word of God and the value of the Word of God for the, on, through the uh, next 43 Psalms. Psalm 107, starting at verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so when he has redeemed them from the hand of the enemy and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. He won, they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, they soul, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way that they might go into a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death being bound in affliction and iron. Because they rebelled against the words of the Lord and condemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought them down, brought down their hearts with lit trouble or labor and fell down. They fell down and were, there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death, and broke their bonds, bands asunder. Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. For he hath broken the gates of brass, and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhors all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their troubles, and he saves them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the, men of ch the children of men. Oh, let their sacrifice the sa oh, let's try that one again. Oh, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and clear his works with rejoicing. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in the great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands the rise of the stormy seas and lifts up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven and they go down again into the depths. Their soul is melted because of the trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like drunken men and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. And he makes the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Then they are glad because they... They be quiet, so he brings them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and let them in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into wilderness and water springs into dry land, a fruitful land into barrenness and a wickedness for the wickedness of them that dwell there. He turns the wilderness into a standing water and dry ground into water springs, and there he makes the hungry... To hungry to dwell, and they prepare the city for habitation. And sow the fields and plant vineyards, which yield the fruits of increase. He blesses them also that they be multiplied greatly and suffered not their cattle to diseases. Again, they are minished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He pours contempt upon princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet sets he the poor on high from affliction and makes their families like a flock. The righteous shall see and rejoice, and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. So we're going to look at this psalm. It has a couple places where it repeats. It's got a chorus in here that is repeated in verse 8, 15, 21, and 31. And that's the statement that says, Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. That's repeated multiple times. So it starts out in this psalm, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. This whole idea of giving thankfulness, giving him praise, giving him laud, uh, literally confessing the name of, of the Lord. So he says, give thanks unto the Lord. Why? Because he is good and his mercy endures forever. 
forever. We give thanks because God is good. And this is something we need to always keep in mind. And I love the, the phrase that goes around, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And we need to keep that in mind. He is always good to us. Even when we think it's not good, it's still good. And this reminds me of the statement we had for a long time up on the PowerPoint. God's will is what I would choose if I knew everything. If I knew everything like God knows everything, I would realize that what he's given me is always good, even if it doesn't seem so to me. Because I don't know necessarily what he's trying to accomplish. And so God is good and his mercy endures forever. Verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Let the redeemed. And this word literally is the kinsman redeemer. Those who have been redeemed by their kinsman redeemer. And the kinsman redeemer we've been studying last Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday we studied it in Deuteronomy. That's the person who buys back a family member who has sold themselves into slavery. Or have been forced into servitude. The picture we have is in Ruth. When Naomi and her husband leave with her, her boys, they get married, she comes back and she has nothing because all of her, her husband and her boys have died. And she comes back a penniless widow who really has no property because her property has gone into other people's hands because they abandoned it. It's still hers. Like, technically it's her husband's, but it's still hers, and she has to have a kinsman redeemer come, and that's the whole story of the book of Ruth. The picture of the kinsman redeemer, where Boaz <coughs> redeems the property and returns it back to him. He's a picture of Jesus. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Adam and Eve sold us into slavery, and he buys us back out of slavery. And he says here, let the redeemed, let those who have been bought back say so. Again, this is the same theme that we had this morning about evangelism. We are to share with others what God has done, that he has redeemed us. We give our testimony in, as part of that gospel message. And who he has redeemed, again, kinsman redeemer from the hand of their enemies, Satan. He's redeemed us out of Satan's possession. Adam and Eve gave this world over to Satan and Jesus took it back at the cross and will finally take complete possession of it during the millennial kingdom. But he already paid the price. And God's saying, let the redeemed say so. Verse 3, and gathered them out, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and the west, north and south. In other words, he gathers his redeemed people from all corners of the world and when we say corners, we don't mean the world is flat, it has corners. We mean from all directions. This is one of those verses that people looked at and said, well, see, they, they did believe the world was flat. No, the Bible does not teach that the world is flat. It uses the same terminology we use today. Uh, and they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. God's people are wandering in this world. There is no city really for us to dwell in. This is in Hebrews it says that Abraham had, was seeking a place to go and we meant to heavenly realm, not the world's realm. We should never feel in, at peace in this world because this is not our home. It is not our home. It will not be our home as Christians. And it's a solitary place. It's a lonely place many times without God to be in this world without a home, wandering. And we're looking forward to that home, and our home is a heaven. And when we die, we will enter into heaven, and we will get our reward, and we will have our, our suite of rooms in the mansion of heaven. And we keep that in mind, because when the word mansions used in the uh, English versions of the Bible, it literally just means a suite of rooms. It doesn't mean a single solitary house built up on the on the hilltop. I mean, as nice as the song I want to mention on the hilltop is, it's not really a valid picture of what we're getting. Uh, 
a mansion is a suite of rooms within the ca within a castle within a within the building. So you would be given your mansion, which would be depending on how important you were, it could be as little as one room to a whole suite of rooms, and that's what God has in place for us. And I and I've shared with you. So I kind of picture this, you know, God's big tower of a mansion, and you've got the little uh, studio apartments on the lowest lowest level, and the higher up you go, the more more of the floor you get to the close to the penthouse where you get full full floors of, of as part of your I'm just mansion. Not well, and this is what most people will say when you talk about it, yeah. heaven and rewards. Well, I'm just going to be glad I'm going to be in heaven. I'm going, well, I'm, I, the alternative is hell. So yes, I'll be glad that I'm in heaven, but I want more than just the, the bottom floor. I want more than just a bed in a, a hide a bed in the closet. You put you pull the bed down when you're ready to go to sleep. You know, uh, not that you need to sleep in heaven, but you know what I'm saying. You know, yeah, you got that closet over there. You pull the bed down and you you know you can sleep. You know, we want more than that for eternity. But it's all really His gift anyway. It's really His gift. And even if all you were was said the, the little closet with a fold-down bed and a you know street sweeper in, in heaven or whatever you know, polish polish the gold streets you know every day you'd still be much better off there than than nowhere. But there's rewards in heaven, and there's got to be some value in in seeking those rewards as well, and getting those rewards from God and being and not just being the the bottom. But also we got to remember. God measures things totally different than we do. Jesus told his disciples to be the greatest, you had to be the servant of all. To be the, the first would be, uh, the last would be first, and the first would be last. You know, our way of thinking is not necessarily his way of thinking and, and rewards. And those, and many times when we get into heaven, I think we're going to be surprised at who is getting the most rewards in heaven. Because if somebody's got just one single gift and they use that gift to get to their fullest ability, they're going to be more blessed than the person who was given six or seven gifts and only used one or two of them. Well, I think that's good. It is good. Because God's going to judge us by the standard of what we were given, not by what we could have had or what we think we should have had. And many pastors even are going to be down toward the bottom because maybe they were great preachers, but they didn't use every gift that God gave them. And, they, and God's going to say, well, no, you didn't use your talents completely. So in one sense, people might like to have only one or one or two talents in their life because a greater reward if they use them well, is there. Too, sometimes that's all you have or you know. Mm -hmm. You want to use it to the fullest. Yes. And as you use those gifts, God will give you more. That's what Jesus told us. So we look at this and it says verse 10, uh, 6 rather, the word then, and I love it, when you see the word then, you want to find out why is it there? You know, it's, it, it's, it's continuing something. And, it's, and here we're looking at them. He's gathering the redeemed. They've wandered in the wilderness. They have no place. And it said they were hungry and thirsty and their soul fainted. I didn't hear that verse today. No. They were hungry and thirsty and their soul fainted or was covered in them. Why all the people that are wandering in this world? How many times do you feel hungry and thirsty and faint in this world? Because this isn't our home. It gets tiring after a while. And if we're not careful to make sure we're feeding ourselves through the word of God and we're faint, you know, we're going to, and we're thirsty, we'll faint spiritually. Well, at least mine does say then. Mine says, then they will cry out to the Lord in their trouble. Right. Well, this is, you know, this is, that's verse six. I, I realized, oh, okay. I realized I hadn't hit verse five. Oh, oh I'm sorry. That's okay. But, you know, this is when we sang that song this morning, I'm desperate for you. You know, is God really so important to us? It's like the air that we're breathing and the food for our spirit. This is where they're getting hungry and faint. Annie? When we're out of fellowship with them, there is a, as, as Christians, we will never feel at home not being with God. When we are backslidden and walking away from him, we are going to be hungry. We're going to be thirsty. And it's really an interesting thing. We never fit back in with the world. Number one, the world that we left doesn't trust us because we're different from them. 
And you know what's really bizarre is when, when we backslide, we tend to still talk about God in some ways anyway. Yes. You know, and I remember when I had walked away from God in the church for the couple of years that I was away, I don't know that I talked about God more than I did it other times, but it really stuck in my mind about how much of a hypocrite I was when I did. Yes. I probably spoke less about him, but it seemed like it was more because I felt so bad every time I talked about him. Because everything in my mind, I'm telling them they need God, and, and, and in the back of my mind is, that's, what a wonderful person you are. You haven't been in church for, for over a year. Yeah, well, because you are out of place. You're not, you're not in home with the world anymore. They don't trust you. You're, you're, you're in no man's land because you're not, in, you don't, you're not belonging anywhere at that moment because you're not where you're supposed to be. And that's where we get into this next verse in 6. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. And that is literally when you see the trouble here, it means tight place, uh, narrow place. God puts us in a narrow place when we're not following him. And when you feel bunched in, you feel pressed because he wants us to come back to him. He's leading us into a place that takes him back to him. And, and he says, you are in a tight place, a place of distress. When out in their troubles they cried, and then it says, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Literally, he snatches you away from your trouble. When you turn to God, repent and come to him, he just grabs you where you're at and puts you where you're supposed to be. I love the mercy of God in that aspect. And we've said this before. He doesn't grab you where you're at and stick you at the bottom of the ladder again to start all over. Because it's not you anyway. He puts you where you came, where you fell from and says, I'm going to return you because it is his grace and his mercy, not our works that got us up that ladder in the first place. If the man we were talking about this morning who fell from grace, is there a chance he could ever be put back where he was? A person who... Falls, who is saved and repents is returned back to where they fell from. Yes, because you didn't get upward by, by your own works anyway. We've got to understand that the higher we go up with God is not because of what I do. It's because of his grace and his mercy. Him working through me. So when I fail, fail and fall, he's going to return me back to where I fell from because it wasn't me who put myself there in the first place. I don't remember talking about King Nebuchadnezzar, but King Nebuchadnezzar did just that. He, he, he fell in, in his pride, and God took his, took his humanity away from him for seven years and then returned him back to the kingdom. And I think the only reason he got his kingdom back is because Daniel kept it for him. So often we think it's something that we have done. God, I have climbed this ladder. You know, I have fought, fought real hard to get up here, and God says, you didn't do anything. If it's, if it's got any value, you didn't do anything. If I've done it, it's all going to burn up and there's no reward in it anyway. But God returns us. Why? Because of his mercy. He snatches us out of the trials and puts us back. Well, it all is him. Everything is him. Yeah. And we've got to keep in mind that it's him. Because if we think it's ourself doing anything, God will very quickly show us that we can't do anything for his kingdom in our own strength. And this is some place that's very dangerous. The more you get used by God, the easier it is to start thinking somehow you're, you're doing it or you deserve it. And then if you get to that point, he'll show you that it's not him. Oftentimes pastors fall into this where they think they've done something great. They've watched their church grow. They've watched things happen. And they start thinking, wow, I'm something special. The God will show them very quickly they're not something special because it's God doing the work. All right, verse 7. And he led them forth by, a right, by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. He leads. He leads. And he puts them by the right way. What's the right way? Well, we get into the scriptures and we find out how to walk according to his proper direction, his proper path, that, he might, that they might go 
to the city of habitation or heaven. That's our goal. Our direction and path is, go, is heaven. And he's going to allow us different things in this, in this world. Sometimes we'll be in great stress and having to fully depend on him. Other times we'll be in the pasture, as, as uh, Psalm 23 says, he leads us into the pasture, green pastures. He leads us through the valley of death and, and the shadow of the valley of death. He gets us times when it's going to look all like everything's wrong and not going right. And there'll be other times when there's peace and calmness. And again, it's all him leading. And we've got to keep that in mind. He's the one that does it all. He leads. When we seem to be going through hard times, it's because he's trying to teach us something or we're getting disciplined for something we have done. And even at that, he's still trying to teach us something from that, basically not to do it again. But, and there's times when he's just trying to teach us, plain teach us for the future. He might be preparing us to be more empathetic with people because we see that we are not perfect. And part of our trials and tribulations are to show that, hey, I'm not there yet. Because otherwise, we could get very proud and arrogant. Well, what's wrong with you? You, you haven't learned yet? Uh, what, you know, how come you haven't learned? You've been walking with God for how many years? You know, all these different things that we could be saying to people, and God will say, well, let me just show you a little bit of what you can do without me. <laughs> Nothing. And then he goes into this little course. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. Think about this. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Give him glory. Give him laud. And for his goodness. And goodness means pleasantness, agreeable, the value and estimation. It means prosperous, benefit, welfare. It's a very powerful word. God gives us pleasant things. And this has five different parts. I'm going to read these five parts. It's practical, economic, and, and material good. It's desirable, pleasant, and beauty. It's the quality of, uh, of exp- and expense, moral goodness, and philosophical good. So this is a word that encompasses just about everything. God is good, and he's good to us. That is everything from the moral good and philosophical all the way to the practical, giving us good things. And you know, it's amazing to me how good God is. The more we trust him, the more he's going to show how good he is. How many times does he meet our, our financial and physical needs? Is wonderful. And then when you learn to trust him and you learn to honor him back, He starts meeting those wants and giving you things above just your needs. And it says, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. We need to share what God is doing, his blessings. And why do we share those blessings with other people? So they get encouraged to to share with God as well and, and to trust God. And then he goes, and his wondrous works to the children of men. His marvelous, hard to, hard to understand works. The miracles, the little miracles sometimes, sometimes big miracles, sometimes little miracles. I'm becoming more and more appreciative as I'm following God longer and longer of listening to how God blesses other people and encouraging them to share their blessings because it is so wonderful. And I know over the years, listening to the testimonies of people about how God has blessed them has been encouraging. Oh, wow, God does these things. And this is what I say over and over. It's one thing to read the Bible and see all the works that God has done and blessings of God. But the, the doubt in people's mind will go, well, yeah, that's what he did 4,000 years ago. That's what he did 2,000 years ago. It's, it's all fine. You know, that's what he did for the really righteous guys like Abraham and Moses and, and all these guys. You know, he really blessed them. Now, of course, when we look closer at their lives, we realize they weren't all that righteous in most cases. But, you know, our mind always goes to, yeah, look, you know, God used them because they were somehow special. Then we read biographies and, and listen to the testimonies of people from a couple hundred years ago to a thousand years ago. And we're going, oh, yeah, God, God was helping them. But how 
impactful is it when your best friend tells you about, look what God has done. You know, he did this for me this week, or he, he fulfilled this need for me. He did this, he did that. And doesn't that just seem to mean a little bit more to you than just reading the Bible? Now, I'm not trying to distract from the Bible, but when your best friend tells you, hey, God has done this, that's somebody you know. You know that they probably don't deserve what God gave them because you know them. And yet God blesses them and it just builds your faith. And once you hear it from them, you're going, oh, oh yeah, and this, and this missionary or pastor or somebody I read the biography, and look at all the, and you go, God hasn't changed. And it just builds you up. And here he's saying it. Oh, that men would praise the God for his goodness and his wondrous works to the children of men. We give him glory, we give him praise, he is lifted up. And people look at it and say, oh, God is still good. He's still blessing people. And I've never doubted that for, for a moment because I've heard so many people sharing it and I've seen it happen so much to myself. You know, and again, when people try to say, how do I know there's a God? Because of how much he loves me and has blessed me and that he talks with me and he teaches me and he's guided me. I know that there's a God. Now I know other reasons why there's a God and beyond that, but nobody can tell me and convince me there is no God because of all that he's done for me. It's so important that he's done so many good things for me. Verse 9, he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. He satisfies. Literally, he satiates. He gives them to the full. When, they, when he starts dealing with the longing soul, he fills them so they want no more. It's like sitting down at a banquet that you can eat as much as you want. And if you went away hungry, it was your fault because there was still food on the table for you to eat as much of it as you wanted. And he says, he fills the longing soul. Do we really long after God? Do we long after him and want so much of what he has for us that nothing else will satisfy. That's what, that's what our soul is desiring, our spirit is desiring. Man was created that only God could fill the needs of our heart. And this is why we watch the world and the world will seek after just about anything but God, thinking that, oh, if I just do, whatever it is they do, for the athlete, it's, I'm going to be the top of the, top of the best athlete. I'm going to win MVP for the, for the season. I'm going to have the perfect game, whatever the perfect game is on what you're, what you're playing. I'm going, to be the, I'm going to be the superstar. I'm going to win the, win the grand championship of it. And they get there and find out it really wasn't anything. You get the musician who wants to be the top, you know, win, win the... the Whatever the, whatever, whatever the song titles are for their, the Grammy, the, uh, the Tony, whatever it might be, whatever award it is, and they get it and they go on, they still aren't happy because it doesn't fulfill. It doesn't fill that empty hole because it's not God. And they are going to have trouble. They're not ever going to have their soul filled. And it says, and he fills the hungry soul with goodness. We need to hunger and thirst after God because he will be the one that fills us up. Without him, we're never filled. And sometimes we look at all these people and say, God, they've got everything. You know, God, they've got everything. How come they're being blessed and they're not seeking after you? They're giving all these bad things. And I've said this over and over again. We want to be careful with that judgment because we don't know that they have everything, and obviously they don't have everything because they don't have God. And without God, they will never be fulfilled and happy. And they'll always be seeking just a little bit more. A little bit more money, a little bit more fame, a little more accolades, and never be happy because it's not what fills their deepest need. And we look at them and say, God, they got everything. And they're going, and God's saying, you don't understand that they don't have it. You don't know the emptiness of their heart. And we need, to, we need to just pray for them and say, God, help them find the fulfillment that they're really looking for. 
and then watch God work. Verse 10, <clears throat> such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they have rebelled against the words of God and, con con and contempt for their con condemned for the counsel of the Most High. So we look at this, that being spurned. They've spurned the counsel of the Most High. But he says they sit in darkness. How many people sit in darkness? Obscurity, not being able to see God because they're not looking in the right places. People sit in darkness. And darkness is really an oppressive thing. Even if you don't fear the dark, and some, and many people, as many people do, darkness is still oppressive. Uh, I've been to many different canyon uh, caverns around around the country, and one of the things caverns love to do is show you what what blackness looks like. And if you've never seen true pitch black blackness, it's quite an experience. They get you in the cavern and they turn the lights off, and there is no light. I mean, not even. You put your hand dead in front of your face and you cannot see the shadow of your hand because it is pitch black. That kind of darkness is oppressive. People who do spelunking have, and if they are cave, cave exploring, if their candle, their lanterns, their batteries go out, they have been known to go crazy within a day or two because pure pitch black will make you go crazy. I believe it because I have rocked up the Grand Canyon and there's nights I forgot to have my solar light in. And you're right, I could have my hand this close and you can't see because... And even that's not pitch black up in that location. Where I'm, you know, well, where I'm at, it's pitch black. Well, because you've got stars and, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but you've got stars and give you a tiny bit of light. We're talking well, when I'm no light. <laughs> but you see that kind of darkness and it says those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death are being bound in affliction and iron being bound the lost world are prisoners in the truth project Dale Tackett had brought this out that we need to look at those who are lost as prisoners of war. They are bound and imprisoned and have no freedom. We don't need to be envious of them because they are hurting. No matter how good it looks like they have, they are prisoners. Bound with affliction, bound with iron rods. Why? Because they have rebelled against the words of God and have spurned the counsel of the Most High. People reject God and there's no peace in that there's no peace in rejecting God there's no peace in in rebelling against God's Word the more we submit ourselves to God's Word the better off we will be because of the rewards that come along with that and then it says in verse 12 he says therefore that's the other word we want to look at whenever you whenever we see the word therefore we want to find out what it's there for <laughs> That's an old joke, very old joke, but it is true. It is true. Whenever you see that word, you need to go, why, did, why is it there? Okay? And because he's been talking about being a prisoner, he goes, therefore, he brought down their heart with labor or toil. They fell down and there was none to help them. The lost world falls down and there's none to help. None to help them get better off. And nothing is worse than falling down and not having anybody to help. Fell down, and then verse 13, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. What is the purpose of all the troubles that God puts, especially the lost world in? Is to get them to turn to him. He wants them to turn to him. He wants to deliver them. And he will do what it takes to get them into a place where they will turn to him. The book of Revelation is all about that. God makes things miserable on the world for seven years so that the people will turn to him.
He did it in the book of Judges. Every time the people would turn and do what was right in their own eyes, he'd send problems to them to try to get them to repent. In our own lives as his children, he'll send trials into our lives to give us to repent. And to the world, he gives them trials so that they'll turn to him in, 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 in their distress. And this is one thing I've said. Oftentimes, especially we as parents, like to help our kids not have to feel the full pressure of that, they're, that they put themselves in. And God is saying, well, I'm trying to help them. We need to be very careful that we don't enable bad behavior by our, be, our actions of trying to stop it. Because God is trying to bring them to a place where they will turn to him. And if their hearts are hard, he has to take them into a harder place than when their hearts are soft. We as Christians hopefully have soft hearts and don't need to go through as much. But the lost world, sometimes they have to go through pure hell to be broken. And Pharaoh was a great example of this. God was trying to say, you've got a choice here, Pharaoh. You can, you can just release my people or I'm going to make you release my people. And God made him release his people. And even then he chased them and lost his kingdom because of all the trouble he went through. And it says, they cried out, and he helped them, and he saved them. Then verse 14, and he brought them out of the darkness and out of the shadow of death, and he broke their bands of affliction asunder. Once God brings the salvation, he drags us out of darkness with his light. He gives us light. And he takes us from the shadow of death, that whole idea of death and being afraid of death, in Psalm 23, we walk through the shadow of death, and here he's saying he removes us from the shadow of death when we call out to his name. But I love this last one, and he breaks their bands asunder. They were captive, and he breaks the bands and frees them. I like mine that he broke away their chains. Yeah, the bands, chains. Because it says right up here, uh, somewhere, iron. It's later on, yeah. Later on. We're getting ready to, oh yeah, they're bands of iron. Of the, yeah, this, isn't, this is the flip side of what he was doing. He says, you're going to go into darkness. You're going to be in, in the shadow of death. You are bound with bands of iron. Now he's saying, but if you call on him, he breaks all of that. This is the power of what God does and how he rescues us. Then we go to the chorus in verse 15. Oh, the man would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his, wondrous, and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And you've got to remember, these are songs that they would sing in church in their day. And just as we have choruses in our songs, every once in a while there's a chorus that keeps getting repeated in these psalms. And this is a chorus in this case. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. So he's talking about, in this case, God has rescued them. We need to declare that. We need to, we need to give God praise for that. And before that, it was, you know, that men would praise God. Why? Because he's led them out of their darkness and led them into. So we see this pattern coming in. He's going to go through a little chorus, a, what we call verse of the song. And then he'll go into a very quick chorus. And this is a very quick chorus compared to how long the verses are. But, uh, oh, that men would praise God for what he's done to them or how he's delivered them out of the darkness, out of the out of the the troubles and he broke their bands he's taken them out of captivity and this is one of the things this this verse is something that I, I encourage us to do we need to share what God has done and this is one of these songs that says encouraging us to do that verse 16 for he has broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron asunder. fools because of their transgression and because of their iniquities are afflicted so again, we're following out. He was just talking about being delivered from all of this, being delivered from prison, for he has broken the gates of brass and the bars of iron asunder. God gets rid of the locks and the brackets. What do, what do gates do? They keep us from going someplace. When you're in prison, there's lots of gates. And he's been talking about prison. And he says, God breaks those gates. And he cuts the bars literally cuts the bars in two. And we think about this, prisoners have these barriers. Some, some greater or lesser, depending on what level of prison you're in, but 
the prison is full of barriers. You can't just walk wherever you want to go in prison. You can't go where you want to go. Peter, when he's arrested and the church is praying for him, it says the angel of the Lord appears to him and, and walks him out of the prison, out through the doors. And one thing about prisons, if you, even if you've watched the movies, you're kind of aware of this, there's all these doors they open and close. You can never get two doors open at the same time on a hallway in a prison. You get in one door, you get in, they close the door behind you, you get to open the next door, and they close that door behind you, and then you can go down a little further and get into another door. And there's all these places where you cannot just go through multiple doors. And it's to basically keep prisoners from getting out. So they can maybe get in one, but they're not going through multiple doors before they get, get in. When I go into the prison, I've got to go through a gate that's controlled, and then I get to go through another gate that's controlled before I can even clock in. Then I get to go through a gate that lets me into a hallway that's got nowhere to go other than back or forward, and then I get to go through the next gate. <laughs> this is the way the prisons are set up, so that you can't get out. And God says, he cuts those gates. He cuts those bars. He, he, he fixes it. Fools, because of their transgression, because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Fools, people who reject wisdom, is a fool. Unfortunately, sometimes we act like the fools because we reject the wisdom of God. And then we wonder why we get into trouble. We do the wrong thing and God says, fine, you wanted the trouble, here it is. Now learn from it, don't do it again. And it says they are afflicted. Their soul abhors all manner of meat and they draw near unto the gates of death. This is something that's very powerful. They loathe to eat. What do they loathe to eat? Well, from a spiritual sense, and this has been talking about the spiritual sense, what is meat in the spiritual sense? The Word of God. How often do we loathe the Word of God if we're in the wrong mindset? If we're not walking with God, the last thing we want to do is get into His Bible. Because we're going to hear God speak to us if we do that. And this is something you see if somebody is starting to walk away from God, there's a couple things you will see. They'll stop praying, because who wants to talk to God when you feel guilty when you're talking to him? They stop reading their Bible, because the last thing you want to do is be convicted of their sin or find out that they're walking in the wrong way. And then the next thing that will happen to them, they'll start missing services and, and activities with the body of Christ. Why? Because they're rejecting God at that point in time. And they need to humble themselves and come back to God. And I know what it's like. I've seen it over many times. I did it myself as I slipped back and forth, you know, back out of the, out of the church because I was so busy. I stopped reading, stopped praying, then stopped going to church. God brought me back eventually. <laughs> but I've also seen it so many times. You watch somebody who's very faithful to church and all of a sudden they start missing. One service a week, two services a week, three services a week, whatever it might be, eventually... You're like, a year later, where's so-and-so? Haven't seen him for a long time. They've loathed the meat of God. They can't stand the meat of God. They can't stand that bit. And then they draw near to the gates of death. Spiritual death. Not that they can. A Christian's not going to die spiritually, but they draw themselves to it, and they're going to be miserable. Nothing's worse than a backslidden Christian who is miserable. And really hurting for it. Then verse 19 says, then <laughs> they draw near to the, huh? They abhor the all manner of meat and they draw near to the, the gates of death. Okay. Verse 19, then, so here's a conclusion. They've been drawn away from God. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble or their distress and he saves them out of their distresses. That verse should sound a little familiar because we just read it back a while ago. Here's another one of those chorus, leads into the chorus, you know. Uh, trials bring us to call on God. That's the point of this thing, is when we enter trials, it should bring us to God. And over and over, that's what he says. Our tr then we call to God and he delivers us. 
And isn't that really what happens to us over and over again in our life? We walk away from God. We start doing the wrong things. He distresses us. We finally go, okay, God, I understand or thank you. I, I'm so sick of this, God. I want your help. And he rescues us. And then we go through the cycle all over again, maybe in another area, maybe in the same area if we haven't learned our lesson, or another area of our life. where we walk away from God and he puts us in distress, we call him and he rescues us. It's really sad that we as humans are such slow learners. <laughs> yes, and I include myself in that same thing. We are slow learners for so many years, and hopefully we get to the place where we learn quicker. But God understands that we're slow learners. One thing I'm really understanding as I read through and start teaching the scriptures is so many times it seems like I'm repeating myself, even though I'm going chapter by chapter, book by book, because God keeps repeating himself in the, ver in the Bible. He understands how slow and dumb we are. <laughs> so he repeats himself a hundred times in the scriptures. But I like that because that's how I learned. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But God understands that, and that's the thing I'm getting to. He understands that we're slow and that we don't learn quickly and that we forget what we learned. And he's so merciful that even in the word of God, he's willing to repeat himself a hundred times to make us understand and draw us to him. God is so good and merciful to us in the way he treats us. And it's wonderful to look at him and say, wow, God, you didn't just tell us once and expect us to remember it. You told us about 500 times, 100 times, whatever times. You know, you know, how many times does the parent go, do we ever tell our kids, how many times do I have to tell you? Well, if we follow God's example, quite a few. <laughs> quite a few times because our kids didn't learn, didn't learn very fast and we don't learn very fast and God is so patient with us to say I'm going to keep teaching you I'm going to keep telling you over and over and over again you know, and you can't imagine how, how vexing that probably is to God at times that well, you haven't learned yet <laughs> why haven't you learned why are you being so hard headed and so hard hearted please learn I'm tired of having to punish you. I wish you would just learn quicker. Back to the children of Israel and the judges. Yeah. Like us. We're like them. Verse 20, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. God sends his word. The power of his word. You know, I've been asked so many times, why am I so big on having people read the Word of God? Why am I so big on, on studying the Word of God, teaching people to study? Because God sent his word and the reason for healing. God's word heals us. God's word strengthens us. God's word builds us up. It edifies us. And the more we learn to believe in his word, the better off we're going to be. I'm amazed how many times when I share the word with people and they go, well, I'm not sure I believe that. I don't care what you believe, it's God's word. Amen. I was teaching in class one time and I read a verse and somebody goes, well, I'm not sure I believe that. I'm going, I had to first think, did I, did I give any commentary when I read this verse? Just to make sure it wasn't something I said that they had disagreed with. I'm going, no, I just, all I did was read the verse. So I just very clearly said, well, your problem is not with me then, your problem is with God. Because it is God's word. It doesn't matter what I believe, and this is, I, when I read God's word, have to agree that I am going to believe his word no matter what. Even if it makes no sense to me, I've got to figure out why it doesn't make sense to me, because God's right. And I got that from Dr. McGee, you know, where he say where Dr. McGee and, and the Bible disagree, the Bible is right, and I've taken that statement myself. If I, for some reason, disagree with what I'm reading, the problem isn't the Word of God. It's my understanding of the Word of God or my understanding of God. And then I've got to pray with God and say, God, I need you to help me understand and apply what it is you've taught me here. Because He is true. He is correct. He is absolutely correct. There are no contradictions in the Bible. There are no, aren't any false teachings in the Bible. I need to understand what I read is what it comes down to. And if I don't, then I've got the problem, not God. And the great news is, is when we pray to him and we ask the Holy Spirit, God, help me understand what I have read. 
the greatest teacher we have is the Holy Spirit. When I teach my class on how to study the Bible, I tell them the most powerful tool we have to understanding the Bible is the Holy Spirit. Now I can show people all the tools and all the things on how to understand the scriptures. But you know the most amazing thing is the Holy Spirit will teach you the right meaning of the scriptures if you ask him. Now it's nice to be able to prove why it's true, but the Holy Spirit's going to tell you what's true. And he's done that for me all my life as a teenager. I prayed many times, God, I need to know what's true, what this, what this is all about, and the Holy Spirit would show me. Then in my 20s, when I learned how to actually use the tools, I'm going, oh, you know what? The Holy Spirit was right. <laughs> Wonder of wonders. The Holy Spirit really knew what he was talking about. He wrote the book. He knew, how to, he knew how to interpret the book. But now I can prove it. And it's always nice to be able to prove what you believe. Not just believe it because that's what God told me. That's, one, that's a good answer, but it's, it's nice to be able to prove why you believe. And we're just going to end because we're running out of time on verse 21. The chorus. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and, his, and for his wondrous works to the children of men. <laughs> and this one's talking about how God delivers. He talked about how he delivered from this and gave us the word. And he says, oh, that men would praise the Lord and his wondrous works to the children. When we learn things in the scriptures, when we're given information from the Bible, we need to share it with others. We need to be able to, to give God the glory. And this is something I've said this over and over again, and I'm hoping people really get it. When God shows you something in the scriptures, share it with others. It is an amazing thing when, when God shows people something in the scriptures and, and they get to reveal it to somebody else. And I know people probably don't believe me when I say this, but some of the greatest insights I've seen in the Bible have come from young Christians having God share something with them. And it's an amazing thing sometimes when they, when they come back. I was reading this the other day, and look what God told me. And you know what? Usually it's pretty simple stuff, and it's not that big a deal. But other times, I have seen the most insightful interpretations that God gave them from the scriptures. And I'm going, wow, I've never thought about that before. That is really amazing insight that God gave you. But we need to be able to see what has God done. We need to share with one another. And the greatest blessing is going to be when I hear people coming together and saying, wow, you know what, I, I just got to share with you what I learned this week. Sharing with one another in the services. Sharing one another when we gather together. Wow, this is what I learned. I was reading this portion of scripture yesterday and this is what God showed me. It is an amazing thing for that to happen. And once that starts happening, it'll build upon itself as others share with, with what's going on. And it draws people into God's word to share God's word. It's a very powerful tool that we have out there. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come before you. Lord, we do ask that you help us to learn to declare your wonders and praise you. And that we will be a blessing to others as we go forward and go out. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.